I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. We've been joined through the Spirit, washed by His blood. Joined heirs with Jesus as we travel this sod. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. <laughs> Good morning! Or for you, maybe afternoon or evening. Hey guys, thanks for joining me. This is the Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. We are in the middle of a series called On Being Church, and this is episode two. And today we're going to talk about hierarchy. Whew, that's a hard word to say. Hierarchy. <laughs> yeah, well, I think I got it pretty good. Um, there's this quote by C.S. Lewis I, was, I read recently. It says, To love at all is to be vulnerable. You know, I've sat under a lot of leaders in church, pastors, teachers, you know, group leaders, Sunday school teachers, elders. You know, I've been a part of churches in lots of different ways. Um, you know, and so I'm just also an observer of human behavior. I'm very interested in what makes people tick. You could say I've, you know, I've always just educated myself in psychology in different ways um you know personality types i i really have learned a lot about the enneagram so i'm just always fascinated by how people work and i've always kind of watched how leadership works in churches you know i went to bible college for eight years where and i you know rub shoulders with people being trained to be leaders in churches um And it just it fascinates me, right? And so I think I had a uh, a guy who was like an elder in one of, one of my churches, and he was just really he really called to mentor men. And so I was a part of a three I was I was part of a men's group for three years that he led, and we met once a week, and we would check in. He really um, wanted to help cultivate men, and um, one of the things he would say would be or one of the things he, he would say a lot as far as leadership uh, he said there were two qualities really really two really important qualities for leaders especially church leaders and it was availability and vulnerability and that just really stuck with me like if you want to be a good leader you need to be available and you need to be vulnerable right you got to be available to people you got to be there for people but you also have to open your heart and that's why I like that C.S. Lewis quote. But you know, as we're talking about church culture and church structure and, you know, what makes the church the church, what, you know, what the church is supposed to be versus what it is. And um, as we're having this discussion and we're talking about hierarchy today, you know, we, I, want, I want us to think about how the church is structured. And I want to talk about, you know, what does scripture say? We'll get to some scriptures, but I started with that hymn. I was actually going to start the episode with the quote from C.S. Lewis about vulnerability, but that hymn came to my mind. You know why? Because we're called the family of God, right? Like, I think and I really believe the model of family is a good model for church, right? We're, we call each other brothers and sisters. I really like that term and I really try to use that. I, I really feel like everybody's my brother and sister. One of the things I, I really liked or I do like about St. Francis is he called, he called everything as brother and sister, brother moon, sister tree, brother squirrel, sister bird. Like he had this deep affinity and love for all things and he expressed it in his language. He, you know, how he interacted with even animals and trees and nature and people he he felt like the whole earth was his family right i really like this idea of church as a family and of course families have brothers and sisters but they also have mothers and fathers um and of course we would say god is our father jesus taught us to pray father in heaven hallowed be thy name and, you know, I like to think of the Holy Spirit as, as mother. 
um, you know, from what I've read about the Holy Spirit, I think the Holy Spirit is, is or embodies more the feminine. So, you know, in a church, even in a local body, I think if you imagine it as a family, I think it's fair to say that the parents <laughs> would not be human, right? But there are, um, there, there can be a hierarchy of leadership, right? I mean, I think we would all agree there needs to be but what does it look like to have a church body as a family where there is a hierarchy? And what would the hierarchy look like? What should it look like? And what has it looked like? Those are some questions I want to think about today as we talk about church governance. You know, that's kind of what we're talking about, right? Like, I'm, I'm not a great leader of large groups of people. Like, I'm often fascinated by the organization of people and I, I'm kind of dumbfounded because I I tend to work alone I'm more of an introvert I love just to like put me in a wood shop and let me build furniture I, I could just spend my life there <laughs> I love it I love to work alone I just that's me and so but I'm also fascinated by people that can lead people that know how to organize people um, th for three years I worked for a light installation company we installed mostly neon but we also installed LED and we were um, working at the Texas Children's Hospital for a couple months. We were we were at the we were back and forth. We were we worked there not nonstop for a couple months, but we were you know there. Um, it was probably a period of six months or so. We were there for a couple of weeks. We'd go home, come back, uh, but we we, we were um, replacing a lot of lighting. It was old neon lighting that. This, co this company had installed 50 years ago or so, and we were replacing it with LED. Um, but at that time, they were adding, an, I think it was 19 stories onto their children's hospital wing, right? So they were taking a building and just putting 19 more stories on top of it. And so, it, it, you know, it was close to the area we were working, and we were outside. They were working, building the skyscraper, basically. And they had this section called the muster area and how these tables. And I just really observed like thousands and thousands of people building this 19 story addition. Plumbers, you know, electricians, um, uh, you know, plaster people, drywall people, uh, just all kinds of different ex expertise, uh, people with different expertise. And then there was, of course, we dealt a lot with um, some of the general contractors or uh, what are they called um yeah i guess general contractors project managers you know because we often had to get into the building or do things around the building and they were there and so we we were kind of under their purview because we were working on the job site but i just was amazed at this it was like an anthill all these people and and like i was amazed at the logistics and how someone could organize all of these people into this working unit to produce this 19-story skyscraper edition. It was so fascinating. I'm like, wow, I mean, that's so cool to me. I, I think it's partly so because I, can't, I couldn't imagine putting together a crew that large to do that many different things all at once to, put, to, to end up producing this 19-story skyscraper, right? It's pretty cool. And so one of the things I can say is although I myself am not drawn to organizing or that kind of order or that kind of administration, I really admire and value it. It's like, you know, without that kind of organizational administration, you know, groups of people couldn't come together and produce great things. I think it's also true in churches, right? There need to be leaders, people to inspire, people to teach, people to kind of direct a group of people, a body of believers towards a, towards a goal, towards maybe several goals, right? Like, I, I, I am always impressed by people that have the gift of administration. And that was one of the uh, things listed um, in the, from, I think it was, was it 1 Corinthians 12? that we read from last week when, we were, when I was talking about multiplicity, right? One of the gifts was gifts of administration. Like some 
it's actually a spiritual gifting to be able to organize people. It's not my gifting. <laughs> my gifting is leave me alone, let me do my work. <laughs> right? I'm kind of a, I'm more of a, a lone wolf, lone ranger, um, you know. But I'm kind of like, point me in a direction, give me a task, and I'll do it, and just leave me alone. <laughs> but I really admire people with the spiritual gifting of, of administration. And like, like, so one of my points is like, it's important to have leaders. It's important to have people who can organize groups of people and point them in a direction and put them on a task, right? Um, that's, it's actually a spiritual gift. I think that's cool. So I think it's necessary to have a hierarchy. And so I would never say we shouldn't have a hierarchy, you know, just because the Bible says we're really, we are like a family. And just because I can also say that God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit are really our parents, the ones who really would direct us, I would also say God directs through people. And the Holy Spirit specifically gives the gift of administration, gifts of, you know, apostleship, gifts of uh, prophetic giftings, like all these, a lot of these giftings that I read come with a certain authority to speak certain things with authority that people should follow. Like, you know, it's important that if someone has the gift of prophecy in a church body, they should be someone in a position to be able to speak to people. And they should be recognized as someone who is a leader, right? So it's important to recognize leaders. It's not a question of should we have a hierarchy. It's a question of what should that hierarchy look like. And especially in terms of the fact that we are a family and that God is our father and the Holy Spirit is like our mother. Like we have divine parents. Nobody in a church is your parent, right? But there's still a hierarchy of leadership, and that's good. But what should it look like in light of the fact that we're all actually brothers and sisters, right? Well, Jesus actually gives us some good indicators of what a Christian leader should look like. So um, I want to read some of those passages. I'll go to one now. And you'll, most of these will be familiar. Uh, I paused to get a drink for a second. My throat was a little dry. Okay, let me jump over and check out some verses. Uh, let me see here. Yeah, there's one in particular. Let's see if I can go there. Yeah. Well, here it is. Yeah, this is Matthew chapter 20. So there's several different instances where some of Jesus' 12 apostles are asking for special leadership, leadership positions. And in this particular one, the sons of Zebedee, who I think they were also called the sons of thunder, their mom comes to Jesus. Now come on, people. They send their mom to Jesus to ask him if they can be his left, sit at his left and right hand. Um, like those, you know, in terms of just um, political powers of the day, kings, rulers, they would have advisors and people sit at their left and their right. And that signified that those two, whoever sat at the right was second in command, and whoever sat at the left hand was third in command. And so, so the sons of Zebedee, um, James and John, I think, were the sons of Zebedee. There, they sent their mom to ask Jesus for this favor, right? Come on. Hey, mom. Could you look? Could could you go ask Jesus to make us first, second, and third? And and can you also fix me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? <laughs> like, come on, dude. What kind of move is that? Asking your mom to go to your boss at work and ask for a raise, right? That's like, it just already feels like really okay. But anyway, that's what's happening. So. James and John send their mom to Jesus. And so this is the verse in Matthew chapter 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to Jesus with her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that in your kingdom these two sons of mine shall sit, one at your right and one at your left. And Jesus replied, You do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? They said to him, We are. He said, my cup you will drink, but to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. After hearing this, the other ten disciples became indignant with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, 
You know that the rulers of the Gentiles domineer over them, and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Hmm. That's a... That's my first verse right there, man, you know. Um, so, you know, uh, one of the main teachings of Jesus in his three-and-a-half-year ministry was the coming of the kingdom of God. And so the disciples, his 12 disciples, already had an idea of what a kingdom was like. Or they lived in a kingdom. Their kingdom, the kingdom they lived in was the kingdom of Rome, the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire had a Caesar, had an emperor who was the head honcho, and then there were people under him. There was a hierarchy of authority. And, and of course, there were soldiers. Uh, the Roman army was very well organized. That's why Rome was able to thrive and have such dominance and be the most powerful nation at the time, because they had a great hierarchy of authority and leadership. And they had a great military, which also had a great organization of leadership, right? So they were able to accomplish so much as a nation as an empire, because they understood hierarchy and authority, and they had a well-oiled machine of authority, right? You know, I talked about the, the 19th story um, addition to Texas Children's Hospital and the, the logistics that that took and the, you know, the, the organization leadership that you know Rome was like man they they had such great organization they built all these roads they they designed their cities they were great city planners they had the, the aqueducts they had public bathrooms they had public baths like they knew how to build they knew how to organize people they knew how to organize society they knew how to organize law and order pax romana was a thousand year reign of peace i mean like Rome knew how to manage thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in cities and soldiers and food and governance and it was an amazing uh, feat of order that Rome accomplished that's why it was, became so powerful you know this tiny little city on the boot of Italy kicking butt all over the world <laughs> and so the, the disciples come to Jesus and they, this is what they have in mind they have the might of Rome. And, of course, Judaism had had its kings and its kingdoms, right? Like, this wasn't new. But um, Rome had just taken this kind of order to great heights. And so when the disciples come to talk, to, talk about Jesus, and they're talking about, okay, yeah, you know Jesus. We know you're going to institute a kingdom. Now, they had this idea that the Messiah would come conquer Rome and set up a kingdom like just like that a kingdom that would rule through this kind of strict authority but like one of the things you have to understand about Roman authority was <clears throat> like they didn't have cops soldiers everywhere they didn't have like this um, extensive kind of arm of of police or this you know they exercised their authority through severe violence so, like, there wasn't necessarily a police force or presence everywhere, but there was the, it, there was the threat of death and swift and strict violence if you violated Rome's laws. So they couldn't exercise their laws through, like, having a cop on every corner, so to speak. But they basically they said, you know what? You step out of line in Rome, you're dead. You're fed to the lions. You're hung on a cross. It was brutal. And so they, they enacted their order through fear through swift and strict, violent control. And so here are the disciples coming to Jesus saying, we know you're going to come. Like we know the Jewish, the Jewish um, theologians and, you know, had really had all these ideas about the coming Messiah and how this Messiah would deliver the Jewish people, right? They thought he would be a military leader and he would take down Rome and set up a kingdom just like Rome with all this, you know, political power. And so the disciples are asking to be... This is, this is huge for them. They're like, Jesus is the Messiah. They know that. He's going to come and set up this kingdom. He's going to take out Rome. He's like, we want to be, imagine being uh, first and second in command next to Jesus over this huge empire that just takes over the whole world, right? Uh, 
And so, man, this is a big deal for them. They knew Jesus had come to institute a kingdom. But here's the deal. They didn't understand the essence of that kingdom and how different it was. And Jesus, like this is where we get the phrase, the upside down kingdom. And in, in this one instance, they're asking to be first in the kingdom. And Jesus says, Jesus says you, don't even, you don't even know what you're asking. You don't know even what it's going to take to really be first in my kingdom. And the, he's like, are, are you willing to go through what it takes? And they're like, oh yeah, we're willing. Whatever it takes to be high command and in control of all of this, this huge kingdom. And he's like, well, <laughs> uh, to be first in God's kingdom, it ain't, it ain't like you think. And he's like, yeah, you're, you're actually going to drink the cup I drink. You're actually going to be, you know, baptized by fire and a cross. And, <clears throat> but, and then he sits them all down. And he's like, hey, in my kingdom, the greatest is a servant. The most prominent is a slave. It ain't like you think. It doesn't come with power and might, and it's not like the Gentiles who lord it over and who exercise authority and control people and tell people what to do through violent means and through control and through oppression. He's like, this ain't a kingdom of oppression. So get that out of your head. You want to really be prominent in my kingdom, a leader, a true leader. You got to be a slave and a servant. You know, uh, did they get that? I don't think so. But Jesus is beginning to set out just how different his kingdom is. Why? Because it's a kingdom about love. It's a kingdom of love. It's a kingdom about restoring human hearts. It's just a, diff it's a different kind of kingdom. It's a kingdom where we're all brothers and sisters. It's, it's a hierarchy that is a should be called a lowarchy. <laughs> Not a hierarchy, right? Jesus is like, hey, the leaders in my kingdom are servants and slaves. They're the lowly people. If you want to truly be great in God's sight, a true example of how God leads, if you, if you want to lead like God leads, you've got to serve. So Jesus is really saying, like, yeah, God's a king and God's going to institute a kingdom, but you don't understand the kind of king that God is. God is a suffering servant. Like, I'm, I'm here as the Messiah, as God, and like, I'm showing you God doesn't control people and force people and through violence enact his kingdom and his rules. God loves people. Um, there's a scripture that says it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, right? God doesn't storm in and say, you better watch it. God's not punitive. God's not condemning. God's not you know, authoritative and wielding, uh, you know, the rod of punishment to hurt people and to make sure people toe the line. God is a kind and tender-hearted God. God leads people through kindness. God is gentle. God would rather take the lower position to draw us to himself and love because that's what a father and mother do. A father and mother aren't tyrants of their family. Like, I'm a dad. Sometimes I got to get tough with my kids. Sometimes I got to raise my voice. Sometimes I got to threaten things. But my, my desire is love. My desire is to be in a loving relationship as a father. My desire is to teach them how to be healthy human beings. And so I, I have to model healthy relationship, right? Like re family relationship is different than an authoritative governance from people who just want to control you to keep the order, to keep the peace so that they can build their machine, you know. Um, so in this first ver you know, this first set of verses we see, Jesus is already saying, hey, it's different. It's different. God's different. God's a different kind of king. God's humble. God is meek. God is calm. God is quiet. God is peaceable. God is tender. God, God's going to set up a kingdom that's more like a family. And so I think that's important as we think about church governance, church hierarchy. It shouldn't be really be a hierarchy. It should be a, it should be a lowarchy. That's a tongue twister too. I just made that word up, by the way. I'm using that. That's my new word. Churches shouldn't have a hierarchy of leadership. They should have a lowarchy of leadership. <laughs> I like it. That's what Jesus said. That's what Jesus taught. Is that true in our churches? Our churches more like families. 
I think we feel that way sometimes, right? But um, <laughs> is it true? Um, I'm going to go to First uh, uh, Peter. This is uh, a passage that refers to what people call a priesthood of all believers. Sorry, I blanked for a minute. The priesthood of all believers, right? Um, there's this idea, like the veil's been torn in two, the old system of, of a select group of priests has been done away with, and, and we're all kind of on the same level in, in one sense. So I want to read First Peter. Let me go there. First Peter, chapter 2. This section is called As Living Stones. This is pretty cool. So he's kind of using the imagery of a building. And he's saying we're like stones in this building. We're all stones. So uh, this is First Peter, chapter 2, verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by people, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. Now already, like, I want you to get the imagery. A cornerstone, a founding stone. I don't know if you've ever seen this in church buildings where there's this one stone and it has a date on it. Sometimes it has the name of the church, but it's the, it's the founding date. It's called the cornerstone. It's also called the chief stone, um, a precious cornerstone, a choice stone. Like it was usually the first stone of the building, often, and it, it was the founding stone. And and scripture here in First Peter is telling us that Jesus is um, Jesus. Sorry, I was looking back with the verse. Jesus is the cornerstone, right? So what what that means, though. In this sense, in the sense of this living building where we're all stones, is Jesus is the cornerstone, meaning he was first, which means like he's the ideal stone. So how Jesus lived his life is how we should live our lives. Jesus is the founding identity of the building because he shows us how to be living stones in the building of God, right? So your building is like a structure, right? A structure that supports things. And, and I, when you put all these stones together, you get a house and it's a structure, just like there's structure to how we organize groups of people, right? So Jesus is like, Jesus was the leader of the 12 disciples and he's, he puts himself up as a model for leadership. And so Jesus as the cornerstone, the precious capstone, cornerstone, the choice stone, Jesus, that's just saying how Jesus led, how he was a leader is how we should be leaders. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you want to come, come after me, be, you know, live according to my example, you got to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. And here in this first passage, Jesus is like, hey, don't think that I'm a leader like the Gentiles are leaders. And here in First Peter, saying the same thing. The cool thing, though, is like in this building, Jesus is, a, is the choice stone. Everybody else is just a stone. Like there's no hierarchy, really. There's no true hierarchy there's no true distinction, like we're all just stones. And so in one sense, in the church, as a family, we're all, we are all just brothers and sisters. So don't think of, hi think of hierarchy as lowerarchy. You should be a servant. But also think of hierarchy as it's not about position and it's not about someone being over somebody and having more authority in the body. There isn't positions of authority in the sense of control. And who's in charge? There, there is authority in terms of calling. Like we already talked about that in the first episode, which I think is important. So you can have an authority in your calling, which means if you're an apostle, you have the authority to say, "I'm an example. I'm a living example of Christ, and I have this authority from God to to really be that thing, to stand in the authority of this example." And you can trust, and and I kind of, I have the authority to kind of say, "Hey." to speak into what it means to be a person living like Jesus. Like, and a, a prophet would have an authority. It's the authority of their calling. It's not authority of a position. It's not like, hey, I'm the pastor and I call the shots kind of authority. It's like, hey, I've been called as a pastor to, and so I'm in charge of soul care and so I have the authority of that calling 
but it's not a hierarchy of who's in charge and who's below and who's above and who's the boss and who's the CEO and who's the serf and the you know, the lowly little worker bees, right? It's not that kind of authority. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I want you to understand, yes, there's the authority of calling, which gives you the, the place to exercise your calling and to be listened to. But it's not like the Gentiles where you're trying to control people and you're in charge and you tell people what to do and they better toe the line or you'll kick them out. <laughs> you know, it's not that way. Um, I'm going to continue with first. 1 Peter 2, verse 7. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for unbelievers, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumbled because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Interesting. You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We're a royal priesthood, a priesthood of all believers, which means there's, when it comes to drawing near to God, there's no special place. We should all be priests. We should all, the priest, like in the Old Testament, the priest could enter into the temple. The, the, the high priest had the special like position where he could go into the Holy of Holies once a year. Like the idea of a priest was someone who could draw near God. And Jesus is saying there's no hierarchy when it comes to who can be near God. There's not the people who can be near God who then administer the gifts of God and the Spirit of God to others. It's like, God, you know, this, this is the idea. We all receive the Spirit. But remember from last time, we all have different giftings from that Spirit, which give us different, different callings, which is a kind of authority as we exercise that calling, but it's not a hierarchy of control. Um, it is a lowerarchy of serving, right? And Jesus, is, that's what he's saying. Is like, like if you're actually, if you want to be a leader in the body of believers. The first thing you need to understand is it's a lowly position. It's a servant position. You're called to serve people. You're putting yourself below people, right? Why? Because you're trying to lift people up. The idea, the idea here, you could, you could think of it this way. Like if you're drawing closer to God, you're more intimate with God, you have a closer connection to God, right? And then what do you want to do? In a sense, you could see it like you're being raised closer. You know, I talked about this in the last episode of... Um, hearing God, where it's like you're this, this uh, spiral, upward spiral to God. You're like, you're climbing the spiral, this mountain to God, getting closer to God. But like when it comes to your role in terms of helping other people, you got to get below them to help push them up. You're being raised up, but you need to make yourself lower so that you can help raise other people up. You're not pulling people up the mountain. You're getting you're getting below them and helping guide. Really, in a sense, walking beside them, you could say. Like, it's, it's a lowly position to be a mature believer walking with an immature believer. It's lowly because you're, just, you're a kind companion walking the journey. And here's the other thing. You may have a calling, a gifting in a certain area that gives you wisdom in a certain area but it doesn't make you uh, put you above people because then other people have different giftings and different expertise in different areas different callings and so like really we're discipling each other i think i like this phrase discipleship is a two-way street it's never like i'm more mature than you and so you're the lesser and i'm the greater it's like no i may have more maturity than you in this area and i may have more wisdom in this gifting but you have more wisdom in another gifting and so we walk together as brothers and sisters nobody's better than anybody else nobody's really above we all have different giftings, we, and we may be, there's different maturity levels as well, right? But we all have something to give to each other. There's this um, Eastern concept called uh, the beginner's mind. It's this idea that you always, you approach every situation, like you're always a student. 
the best teacher is always a student is always learning and like you learn from the people you're trying to teach as much as they learn from you it's this idea of humility right we're talking about humility nobody's above anybody in the church people have different positions but Jesus is saying the higher up you go the lower the the, the more God, God given authority you have to lead people the more of a servant you must become, the more of a slave, because you're you're pouring yourself out like a drink offering. That's what Paul said about himself. He said, I'm being poured out for Christ as a drink offering. You know, that was part of the Old Testament uh, rituals. But he's like, that's the idea of a leader. He's like, I'm pouring myself out and pouring myself into people. I'm a spiritual, he could, Paul called himself a spiritual father. There is no true hierarchy in the church. There's a low hierarchy. I would say the only true hierarchy is one of maturity. And when um, there's two different passages, I didn't get to those last time, about, about Paul's writing to Timothy and Titus, and he writes about appointing elders and deacons, right? And the main, the main thing he's trying to say is new converts shouldn't be elders and deacons. He's trying to establish that people who are more prominent in leadership positions in churches should be mature people. The only hierarchy I ever see in Scripture is a hierarchy of maturity, not a hierarchy of position. You know, in that list, apostles, prophets, teachers, preachers, evangelism, he says first apostles. But it's not a, it's not a hierarchy he's putting forth. He's... He's giving importance to giftings. He's saying, hey, the most important gifting in your church is apostles because they're the people that model Jesus. But Jesus clearly, like, they're modeling Jesus. And what did Jesus say? You want to be a leader? You got to be a servant. I'm a servant. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Right? You know, our idea of God can, can create our idea of, of how we organize our church. Is God here to be worshipped like someone who demands worship, who demands obedience, who demands we adhere to these rules and if we don't, we're going to get punished and God's just this authoritative judge person who's going to condemn and, and punish if we don't do what he wants and he doesn't get his way. Like Jesus says, that's how the Gentiles are. They control people. They use people. It's for their own power. It's for their own benefit. And Jesus says, no. God's not here for his own benefit. I'm not here for my own benefit. We're here to benefit you. That's the whole paradigm. It's why it's that upside-down kingdom. Think of it as an upside-down pyramid. Because the, the, the power structures of most human power systems are pyramids. At the top is one person. And below them, maybe two, maybe four people. Below them, maybe 12 people. And like the pyramid... Like the person, the people at the bottom are feeding their power to the top. And the person at the top has the most power and the person at the bottom has the least power and everybody's trying to climb up, climb the ladder. Be, and the more higher up you go, the more control and the more people you have below you. And that's how human power systems often work. Everybody's feeding their power always to the people above them, right? The people above are in charge. You know, this is kind of the idea. Of, but God flips the tables. God turns the pyramid upside down. So that God's at the bottom, feeding up. And he says, you feed your power up. The people who are the closest to God have the most to give. The people who are furthest from God need the most, and that's how it works. The leaders are servants, serving people to build them up in Christ. So they can then get closer to God, grow, and start, what, discipling others. It's really like a it's really a peer relationship more than anything. We all have different giftings and different authorities to speak different things and to function differently in the body, but we're all just peers and when it comes to maturity, I like this 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 hierarchy of maturity is really cool because guess what? There's always people more mature than you that can disciple you and there's always people less mature than you that you can disciple. And so everybody has a role when it comes to discipleship. Discipleship and maturity really create a relative position. It's relative to the people around you. Like, yes, there probably are people who are elders, who are your elders, and there's people to whom you are an elder. And so we're all constantly moving up as we lift others up and as others lift us up. But we're constantly serving. 
it's a hierarchy of maturity where the more mature get below the less mature to lift them up. Wow, that's a loud. <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know what they're doing over there. It's loud. In the middle of a orchard and anyway, moving on. Yeah, so that's really cool. Like I really like the only th I think the only thing churches should really be focused on when it comes to like leadership is maturity. Right? You want more mature people discipling less mature. But then there's that's always relative. Like you there's somebody you there's always somebody you're more mature than that you can be lifting up. But if you're more mature than someone, you don't lord it over them. You you don't stand over them, you get under them. You lift them up. That's what Jesus tells us. I want to go to the uh, Last Supper and the washing of the feet. This is pretty cool. Um, Jesus just sets another example of a servant leader here. So, I'll jump over there. I think this is in John. Yeah, okay. Now, before the Feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour... I'm sorry, this is John chapter 13, verses 1. Before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would soon depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So this is pretty cool. Like, Jesus knows he's going to die. He wants to do one more thing for the apostles to really set the tone of who he is, the kind of leader he is. So that was verse 1. This is verse starting back up with verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel, which he had tied around himself. So he came to Simon Peter, and he said, who said, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus said, What I am doing you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Peter said, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus said, If I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Simon said, Wash not only my feet then, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet. Otherwise he is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. Then when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Do you realize what I have done? Do you understand do you understand, people? I love this. Jesus is like, think about this. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. And so if I, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example so that you also would do just as I did for you. Truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who sent, who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Hmm. Like, this is so cool. Jesus is like, man, I'm going to die soon. I want to really help my, my disciples understand one thing more than any other. I want them to understand who I am and what I'm about and, and just how much of a servant I am because I love them and I've come not to establish this Roman-type empire kingdom that enacts its rule through violence and force and control. But... The kingdom of God, which is upside down, which enacts its power through love and tenderness and serving, building others up, not controlling them through the threat of violence and punishment. Jesus is like, I really want to take the time to really set the most amazing example for these guys about what I'm calling them to do as leaders of the first church and also to set the example for every other leader of my church. And so, I'm sure you've heard this before, but if you haven't, I'll go over it. Washing people's feet was something you did, like when you went into someone's home, you, there was usually a servant to wash people's feet. Now, people wore sandals. In that time, in the city streets, there were horses, there were wagons, like there were, would have been feces everywhere, dirty, dusty, just filthy. Like, people would be walking through all kinds of filth. 
And so it was considered the lowest position to be a servant in a house that washed people's feet because you were putting your face in horse poop and who knows what else. Maybe even some human poop. Right? And so Jesus, when he does this, it's, it's significant. Peter is offended. He's like, you're my master. No freaking way you're washing my feet. No way. You're supposed to be the Messiah, the ruler of the kingdom of God. No way. You know what Peter was really saying? Well, man, I want to I wanna be high in this kingdom. And if Jesus is like being a servant, I, I, don't, I don't want that. He, it was his, Peter was in his own ego saying, this ain't right. I don't, I don't like this upside down hierarchy. This, I don't like this lowarchy thing. Don't tell me I, I, that if you're my master and you're serving that I got to serve. I don't like this. <laughs> Peter didn't like it because it, it meant something for him and he knew it. He's like, ah, no, Jesus, you can't wash my feet. You're supposed to be above me. And Jesus is like, if you think that's the kind of leader I am, you don't get me and you don't have anything to do with me, Peter. Man, you're going to lead the church, buddy. I got to get this through to you. You got to understand what I'm calling you to. Not to lord it over people, not to rule over people, but to serve. If you want to be a leader, you got to follow. Yes, I'm your master. But man, I'm a master servant because the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. The church is not a hierarchy of position and control and people telling other people what to do and what to believe and kicking people out of church and punishing people. It's a lowerarchy of servants trying to help other people draw closer to God, know God more deeply, enter into a deeper relationship with God. It's not about power and control. It's about powerlessness. Jesus called, calls us into powerlessness. Why? To be lowly servants. Why? To not be like the world and how it exercises power and thinks about power. Why? Because, because God is love. God is our Father. The Holy Spirit is like our mother because we're a family. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. This ain't an institution. This isn't an orphanage, people, with, with people who are trying to run the orphanage. Like, you know, little orphan Annie, controlling and <sighs> dictatorial and authoritative and mean. <laughs> and, and you better toe the line or you might get some church discipline. And what do you think church hurt comes from? It comes from church leaders who don't understand how to be leaders like Jesus. Man, I I so many stories, but um, I was in a church once, and I had a really close friend, and we were both spiritual director type people, really had a heart, both contemplatives. And um, <clears throat> the pastor came to me one time, and I can't remember the sequence of events, but this person had been kicked out of church. Stuff had happened. Some congregates had brought accusations against this person, who was trying, you know, who was involved with people doing spiritual direction type stuff, right? So the pastor came to me. He asked me to meet with him, and I was like, "Yeah." And he started talking to me about this person who was my friend, and he's like, "He's like, man, this person, you know, they're really like they they have a real lot of good giftings, but they're kind of immature in some in some ways, and they're kind of they're, they've hurt some people." in trying to exercise their giftings. And I was like, well, I know this person. I know their heart. Like, you know, I see that side of them, sure. But I know their heart. I know, you know, they, man, they, they really have a great calling on their lives. And so I looked at the pastor and I said, if you really think they have this immaturity in this area, I challenge you, disciple them, help them grow, take them under your wing, pastor them. That's what they need. Um... You know, don't kick them out. Draw them in. That's what a servant leader does. And unfortunately, in that instance, the pastor didn't. He kicked him out. And in that moment, I was like, "Whoa! Well, is that this kind of ch is this is is it, is it this kind of church? Is this the kind of church I'm in? 
where we're kicking people out if they're, if they're, you know, not toeing the line. I'm sure some of the, the negative consequences of relationships were true, right? But we're servants. We're trying to help people draw closer to God. And, and remember last time it says the less presentable parts of the body are, speeded, are treated with special honor, right? Uh, Paul, uh, Paul in Corinthians says, hey, are there people who are weaker? And in, in Romans chapter 14, he says, those who are strong should bear with those who are weak, but not for the purpose of arguing over disputable matters or passing judgment on what people believe. But like, Paul's like, you know, weaker members need special attention. If you're a leader and you're serving people and you're coming alongside people and you're trying to lift them up to be more like Christ and you see someone who's, like you see someone who has clear giftings and a clear desire to serve, but they have some struggles. You don't kick them out. You draw. Them. You don't push them out. You draw them in. You don't kick them out. You kick them in. <laughs> right? This isn't where a place. Uh, this isn't the kind of group where you lord control over people and you you're authoritative. And you know, there are some passages that talk about sometimes people that need to be um, kicked out of church. And I, I don't know, that's a different discussion. Uh, for me, I just think, if you're kicking somebody out, there should have, and even in those passages, it talks about steps, right? Steps of trying to bring things to people's attention, right? You don't just, but I think, if you're, kicking, if you're to the stage of really considering telling someone they shouldn't be in your church anymore, you should have already spent years with them, walking with them, understanding their heart, trying to delve into the woundings that might be creating some of the ways they're hurting others, right? Pastoring them, discipling them. Like, they're obviously a weaker person. They have some weaknesses. They have some struggles. The move of mature Christians in a body of believers towards the less mature is always lifting them up, serving them, coming alongside. And guess what? Relationships are messy. Families are messy. It's hard. Walking with people, being vulnerable and available to people is hard. It's messy. It means you're going to have to take some hurt. You're going to have to take some people acting out. Kids, immature people. I've got three kids. They do a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> they hurt their brothers and sisters. But I don't kick them out of the family because you don't ever stop being family. If, if church is a family, then you should never kick people out because you don't ever stop being brothers and sisters. You may, need to, you may need some distance, some space sometimes. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe there's such a thing as church timeout. You know, like maybe there needs to, it needs to be said like, hey, you're causing so many problems. You need to take some time. But man, I love you and you're still a brother. And I'm not giving up on you, but we're going to separate you from the situation for a time. And then I'm going to continue to meet with you. And we're going to work through this and I'm not giving up on you. I'm not, that's the difference is like... A servant leader who's a brother or a sister who's coming alongside someone who's struggling. You don't abandon them. A family never stops being a family. A brother is a brother for life. A sister is a sister for life. Even if they're not such a great sister, even if they're going through a hard season, family is always family. A power structure where people are stepping out of line that's a place where you would expect people to get fired, kicked out, disciplined, reprimanded, given a pink slip, let go. But a family doesn't work that way. That's not how families are. A family, if we're brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ forever. And if someone is struggling, we come along beside them. We don't kick them out. You know the phrase, churches often shoot their wounded. You know, I, there's, I'm trying to think there's some other phrases, but this is where church hurt comes from, right? You know, often the people that probably are causing those problems in, in churches are probably the most wounded people. They're hurt. Maybe they're the most immature. Well, what's the church supposed to be doing? It's supposed to be help. The, the more mature are supposed to be helping the less mature grow to be more mature, right? If someone is causing problems, acting out, well, they might just be less mature and they might just need more attention more guidance, more discipleship. And so a truly mature believer, leader in a truly mature body, local body, 
should be coming alongside the less mature to help lift them up, to teach them. Man, it's messy. You know, I, I have a lot of, I would say I've had a lot of wounds, church wounds, relationship wounds, my father wounds, right? And so I'm really drawn to people who have a lot of wounds, deep wounds. And man, I can tell you some of the lessons that I've had to learn. So some of the hardest lessons are, it's going to take a long time. It's going to be a lot of hurt. It's going to really, it's going to be frustrating. You're going to sometimes wish they would just get over it, build a bridge and get over it. But you got to, long suffering, baby. <laughs> you, sometimes you got to suffer with people a long time. Walk with them a long time to see them healed. That's what we're in the business of healing. Bringing God-ordained healing to people. Helping them work through their wounds. You know, not reject them, but accept them as they are. Walk with them as they are. Help them grow. That's the calling of a body of believers, to walk with each other, to disciple each other, the more mature with the less mature. We are called into a lowerarchy, not a hierarchy, where more mature walk with less mature, and that's it. There is the authority of different giftings, but there's not the authority of who's in control and who's calling the shots, and it's a top-down, and if you don't toe the line, you're going to get kicked out. <laughs> It's a, you know, it's not a top-down authoritative structure. But sometimes it's become that. Why? Because we've modeled the church often after power structures in our societies. You know, the Roman Catholic Church was modeled after Rome, Rome the Roman way of governance. The, you know, then the Roman Catholic Church got modeled after Eastern um, monarchies, right? <clears throat> now in America, most churches are like a business or like, you know, the U.S. government with a president and senators, elders, deacons, pastor, right? A lot of times we model our churches after the power structures around us in our culture. But we're supposed to be countercultural. We're supposed to be servant leaders. We're supposed to be humble and lowly. We're supposed to make ourselves, if you're truly a leader, truly mature and truly walking in the authority of your gifting, you're supposed to be a, like a slave that man, that's a slave. Man, a slave just works all day, long, hard days. Why? For the benefit of someone else. Really for who? The master. Who's the master? You're really working for the Lord. Actually, there's a verse that says that. When you do your work, work as unto the Lord. <laughs> Not as unto humans, right? Like we do have a master, we're slaves. You know, we're giving, we're pouring our lives out for others. But we're really working for the Lord. And what's the example that the Lord sets? How did he... How did Jesus, you know, how was Jesus with his father, who was kind of like his Lord? When Jesus submitted to his father, he was a lowly servant, even submitting himself unto death, even death on a cross. Right? Jesus is our model. How did Jesus lead? He tied a towel around his waist. He took the lowest of the lowest positions. He washed our feet, he, wash, he washes our feet. He cleanses us, right? Even on the cross, he cleanses us. He renews us. He restores us. He sends the Holy Spirit. Jesus made the way in every way for us to be restored. Not by punishing us for being bad people, but by renewing us through the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is a free gift, not earned by our good behavior. We're not called to be good little boys and girls when we get punished if we're bad. It's not an authoritative structure. God's kingdom is a kingdom that is a family. And as a king who is our father, we are sons and daughters, joint heirs with Jesus. So we're like, in terms of position, Jesus actually makes it clear. We're on par with him. We're sons and daughters. We're not servants. We're not thieves. We're not serfs. We're sons and daughters of a king who is our father. The king is our father. The king isn't some distant ruler exacting his rule through punishment and violence like the Roman Empire. The king is our father. That's so different. We're all kids. We're a royal priesthood. We're all brothers and sisters. We may have different callings. We may have different levels of maturity, but we're called to serve each other, to disciple each other. It's a two-way street. And it's bound together by love because that's what a family is bound together by. Love. Not authority. Not control. But love. The church should never be a hierarchy. It should be a lowerarchy where the, the, the most prominent 
is the lowest servant of all. Hey guys, thanks for listening. This has been a Construction Monk Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Randall Ori. Um, I hope you're enjoying this. It's good. Uh, this is just the second episode. We're going to keep talking about being church, right? Like, man, I just think it's so cool. I talked about this in the first episode, but it's like, you know, we are the church, all of us. We all have a part. We're all brothers and sisters. We're all called to disciple each other. We're, we're all, and we're all servants and sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father and Mother. They're the ones in charge. We're not in charge. We follow the Spirit, the call of the Spirit, the voice of the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. And we're led to be a loving family. We're all brothers and sisters. That's a good picture of a local church body, of the church as a whole. Thanks for listening. You guys can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com or Google J. Randall Ori and you'll get all my stuff. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Bye.